the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Mark chapter 1, if you would please, Mark chapter 1. We are continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to be looking at the preaching ministry of the servant. Mark chapter 1, and we will be looking at verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15, and if you're able to, please stand as we read Mark 1, 14 and 15. The scripture tells us, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The narrative of the ministry of Jesus Christ here moves very rapidly. We've seen in past services that the gospel of Mark is a fast-moving gospel. Mark omitted Christ's visit to Cana and Samaria and the journey through Judea, and then he skipped the movement of Jesus when he left Judea and went north through Samaria, as recorded in John chapter 4 where he encountered the Samaritan woman and disclosed himself as the Messiah to this outcast woman. And then Mark picks up the ministry when Jesus finally arrives in Galilee. So many events and much time has passed between the temptation of Christ that we looked at last week and his Galilean ministry. Mark had described the public preaching of John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Lord, and then abruptly he describes the preaching ministry of our servant. Our Lord has been known and labeled by many theologians and scholars as the prophet, priest, and king, which he rightfully is. And from this passage, we will see how his ministry began as the prophet, a preacher of truth and righteousness. The timing of his public preaching ministry was impeccable and intentional. When Jesus began his public preaching ministry, I want you to notice several things. Number one, I want you to see the fading of John's preparation. The fading of John's preparation. Look in verse number 14. It says, now after that John was put in prison. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 40 as the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He had baptized the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he stayed faithful afterward to his prophetic calling. John the Baptist had continued preparing for the ministry of our Lord, and Jesus purposefully waited with a more public demonstration of his power until after John the Baptist was no longer engaged in his preparatory ministry. John was put in prison. With John in prison... John's public preparative ministry had, for the most part, concluded 
though he still continued to garner followers. And we find that at this juncture, John was incarcerated. And the reason for this incarceration will be covered in detail when we get to Mark chapter 6 later on. But it was because John was not fearful to confront sin, and thus Herod Antipas had him imprisoned. This incarceration was about a year after the baptism and the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. John, who was the Elijah to come, was soon to leave the stage much differently than the way the actual Elijah exited. Now keep in mind that John was considered the second Elijah. He was the fulfillment of that Elijah that was to come. And as you may recall, when Elijah's ministry was concluded, that the Lord took Elijah without public incident by a whirlwind before the presence of his successor, Elisha. John the Baptist, however, would depart in a far less pleasant way. He would not be taken up in a whirlwind, but he would be beheaded by order of Herodias. Here, we have this allusion in verse number 14, because it was the appropriate time for the Messiah to begin his public ministry. John the Baptist had been preaching that there was one greater than he, the latchet of whose shoes he was not worthy to unloose. And it was time. It was time for this one that John the Baptist had been preaching about to take the center stage and John was fading away. His glorious candle as the preparatory preacher would now be outbrilliant by the glory of the sun. S-O-N. Secondly, not only do we see the fading of John's preparation, being put in prison, I want you to see the field of Jesus' preaching. The field of Jesus' preaching. It says, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee. Galilee was a large populated area north of Judea and Jerusalem where both Jews and Gentiles resided, though usually in their own respective communities. It was divided into lower and upper Galilee. The former district consisted mainly of the plain of Esdralon of Jez or Jezreel, and the latter containing the district between the upper Jordan and Phoenicia. It was called Galilee of the Gentiles because of its mixed population, Greeks, Arabs, Phoenicians, as well as Jews. Why was Galilee our Lord's selected field to begin his preaching ministry? May I offer to you two reasons. Number one, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy had marked this region out as where uh, gospel light would shine most brightly. The northern tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, had sunk into idolatry through the influence of their idolatrous neighbors, the Phoenicians, on the west, and had suffered most from the Assyrian invaders from the east, most of them having been carried captive by Tiglath-Pilneser, and their land repopulated in large part by strangers. Isaiah the prophet, however, in order to comfort 
and in some measure compensate the people of Israel, provided some comforting news. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, Isaiah's prophecy says this, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first light he, lighted, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and this is speaking of Galilee, and afterward didn't more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They shall dwell in the land of the shadows of death. Upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the wrath of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Does that sound familiar? Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom and to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years earlier that he who was called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, this child who would grow up to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would begin his ministry there in the land of Naphtali and in Zebulun. So this was a fulfillment of prophecy. The child was born. The son was given. And he preached a comforting message about his kingdom. Not only was it in, was it in fulfillment of prophecy, but secondly... He began his ministry in Galilee because it was filled with common people. It was filled with common people. Galilee was filled with blue-collar individuals. That was, that was a community of hard workers. One would assume that the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace would begin his preaching in an elite place, in a place where there are high-faluting individuals you would think that he would start preaching in Jerusalem, the capital city. But instead, Jesus, the humble servant, went to where the common folk were, to the servants of the land. He went to the farmer that tilled the fields. He preached to the merchantmen that traded in the towns or villages. He spoke to the fishermen that worked his craft on the waters of the lake. And he sought after the laborers standing in the marketplace. He went to where the people were, and he went to where the need was. Furthermore, these Galileans were more free from prejudice, less bigoted, and less exclusive than their brethren of the southern province, Jerusalem. Jesus went to the hurting people. And my dear friends, that is our commission as well. 
That is the commission of the church, is to go into the highways and the hedges and to bid them to come to the supper, to bid them to the kingdom of God. We will never reach San Diego if we do not go where the people are. We must go to the merchant place. We must go to the marketplace. We must go fishing. We will never reach San Diego if we stay in our living rooms. We must live outside our living rooms and preach life outside our living rooms. Jesus intentionally went out to Galilee for the prophecy and for the people. I was uh, recently listening to a couple of audiobooks on church growth because I am not the expert on church growth, obviously, and I, I want to learn more and I want to know more. And thus far, of the two authors that I have been listening to, they both used a word that I have thundered and mentioned multiple times from this pulpit. And both of them said, if you want to see your church grow, the people of the church must intentionally go to where the people are. Are we doing that? Jesus intentionally went to Galilee. He intentionally went because it was God's word to fulfill prophecy. But he intentionally went because that's where the people were. He was tempted in the wilderness, but he didn't stay in the wilderness. He continued to minister and began preaching publicly in the areas where there were people. The church of Jesus Christ must be intentional in getting out the message of life. We must be intentional in inviting family, intentional in inviting friends, intentional in inviting neighbors and co-workers to be brought under the preaching of God's word. Jesus' public ministry in Galilee was not random. It was purposeful. It was intentional. And while the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted, Luke 4.14, the Bible says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Let me ask you this question. Are you intentional in living Christianity out loud? Are you intentional in inviting folks to hear God's Word? Are you intentional in living a life of righteousness and holiness as a testimony of our God? Are you intentional in sharing your faith? Are you desirous to see God's hand at work here at Anchor Baptist Church? Then I ask you, if God is going to do something great and grow this church so that we can impact San Diego for the cause of Jesus Christ, we must be intentional, as Jesus was intentional, to go to where the people are. Are you really intentional about being a servant to grow the kingdom of God? That's the question of the hour. So number one, we see the fading of John's preparation. Number two, the field of Jesus' preaching. It was in Galilee where the people were. Number three, I want you to see the focus of Jesus' preaching. The focus of Jesus' preaching. Look in verse number 14 again, the latter part of the verse. It says, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Repent ye and believe the gospel. Christ was first known publicly as a prophet before he was manifested as a priest and the king of humanity. He had already been conferred at his baptism with divine authority, and he confirmed this authority in the wilderness being tempted of the devil. He then went into Galilee and he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And much like John the Baptist, Jesus preached with substance. He didn't appeal to superstition or tradition. He didn't deceive or compromise to draw crowds. He preached the truth, confrontational and comforting truth. And notice the substance of his preaching. He brought forth a message that elicited hope. He brought forth a message that elicited hope. In verse number 15, saying that time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. As one scholar put it, it was an appointed time for a divine visitation had now arrived. There's a time and season for every step of God's divine plan. God is never late and God is never early. His timing is impeccable. The birth of the king, the baptism of the Messiah, the establishment of his spiritual kingdom, and the ushering of his everlasting righteousness have all been foretold, foreseen, and can be directly assured of every bit of it. And the people, the Jews, knew of these prophecies. They had been waiting for centuries to see a new kingdom. And Jesus entered into this, their cities and he thundered to them, it's time. The time is fulfilled. His message that the kingdom of God was at hand wasn't an implication that he had ever abdicated his throne. It was that he had been patient with rebellious men and kings and hadn't interfered with that spiritual tyrant who had usurped dominion over the power of the air. He came to announce his authority that their spiritual warfare was accomplished and that their iniquity, iniquity would be pardoned, Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Many who heard this message were assuming that this Messiah would establish a new kingdom unlike the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. Christ's message, however, was not the establishment of an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual one. They were looking to a time when all the nations of the world would gather themselves together at Jerusalem and they would all worship Jehovah God. That's what the Jews were looking for. However, Jesus preached a different message. When he preached, the time was fulfilled. He was saying, I'm here. I have fulfilled the prophecies. He preached that the kingdom of God was not about rites and rituals and religion that the Jews had been so accustomed to from the beginning of their history. But rather he preached that the kingdom of God was about a relationship with him. A relationship based not on trusting their sacrifices, not on trusting their, their works, not on trusting in their traditions, but trusting in God. And that mindset had to change. The people of Galilee were looking for a different government and thought that all their life's problems would be, would be solved by a new earthly government. However, 
Jesus preached a different kind of kingdom, one of peace, one of kindness, one of love and forgiveness. It was not ruled with an iron fist, but with eyes of compassion and mercy. He preached grace, not government. We live in a country today that is much like the Galileans and the Jews. We Americans, even Christians in America, think that in order to have peace and tranquility, well, all we need to do is vote out the old government and change some policies. And then our lives will be great. My friends, hope does not come from the courthouse. Hope does not come from the state house. Nor does hope come from the White House. Our hope does not, um, is not found in new legislation nor additional rights. For centuries, nations have sought for hope in these very things. Governments and legislations have changed over the centuries, but men and countries still stay the same in misery without hope. Hope does not come from a place or an organization. The message of hope comes from a person. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the fairest of 10,000 to our souls. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus. He is our Savior. He's our Redeemer. And He's our friend. His message of hope is this. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His message is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His message of hope comes in John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. My dear friends, this world needs hope to be free from oppressive sin. John 8, 36, if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Folks, maybe there's something we're holding on that we know we should get rid of. Something that is oppressing us. A habit, a sin, that is keeping us from being the child of God that we ought to be. Are you in despair? Do you need hope? Do you need freedom? Christ's message of the kingdom was a message of salvation. Colossians 1, verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. A person without Christ is still living under the rule and the oppression and the authority and the kingdom of the prince of the power of the air and their father, the devil. But by trusting in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, this Messiah who came to fulfill God's word, to fulfill every prophecy, to fulfill the law, 
to die on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. That's the kingdom that he's preaching. His authority. His message elicited hope. But secondly, I want you to see that in his preaching, his message elicited a response. His message elicited a response. Look in verse number 15. It says, And saying the time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Good preachers do not only provide truth and information and offer comforts of hope, but they also offer counsel and need be confrontation for correction. That's what good preachers do. And Jesus did both. His preaching elicited two truths that required a response. First of all, he, he called for repentance. Notice there he says, repent ye. This was a change of mind from their faith in government to a faith in God. Jesus was calling the people not to seek freedom from the oppression from an evil empire, but rather to seek freedom from the oppression of being void of God. It was having a change of mind that is void of God to a mind that is consumed with God. It's a mind that is changed from thinking that sin doesn't offend God to a mind that knows that any measure of sin is utmost and egregious to His holiness. Repentance isn't turning over a new leaf, nor is it changing things in one's life. That's not what repentance is. It is a change of mind that was alienated from God to a mind that has an affection for God. Matthew 9 verse 13 but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I, have, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 13, 3 and Luke 13, 5. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he preached repentance. But secondly, he also preached a response for reliance upon him. Look again in the latter part of verse 15. He says, repent ye and believe the gospel. Trust in God. Rely upon him. That word believe means to place your faith in or make your object of faith and the object of faith must uh, be Jesus Christ. The Galileans and those who heard his message were to cease trusting in the government, cease trusting in their rituals, cease trusting in their religion, but rather to place their reliance in God the Son and have a relationship with him. This is the message, my dear friends, that still rings true today. Turn from what you used to think is your way to get to heaven. Repent and trust. Trust in Jesus Christ. The preaching ministry of our Lord is a message of hope and salvation. It is a message filled with promise, power, and potential. But it is also a message that must be believed and it must be accepted. It's a message that still must be proclaimed today and still must be trusted. The gospel still works.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.